Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. been having a thing i guess fairly recently of watching movies that i am watching very far out of their context like way past the point of them being popular and i'm just getting caught up kind of on all the references right now oh yeah yeah in part it is actually it is entirely because of allison and i you know having like remote uh you know uh amazon watch party dates Oh, that's wholesome. Love that. Yeah. To paint a picture, though, I only just recently saw Whiplash for the first time. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. What was that like? Um, it was pretty like I enjoyed it as a movie. Uh, As a musician, it's hilarious watching the one the one actor miming playing bass, and he clearly does not know how to play bassinet. <laughs> I forgot about that scene. <laughs> oh my god! Oh. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I loved the, uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the actors and everything. Everyone was doing a really good job. I was really trying to understand where it was coming from from a point of discipline at what point is it too much and Mm. like really even towards the end i still was feeling like i can't believe he's letting jk simmons get away with this right right hey zan yeah it's not quite my tempo (laughs) (laughs) Um, i had to i'm sorry (laughs) yeah man not that your mo- tempo not, not tempo. your tempo no not not quite there not quite there that movie stressed me out as, Look, as a drummer for someone for someone who's been as someone who's been in multiple rock bands do you know how hard it is to get even three musicians into the same room at yeah, the same time to yeah. get everyone's schedules to line up yeah and to, <laughs> the idea of trying to manage an entire band is it, <laughs> Because, like, I was always very envious of the kids in jazz band in high school. I kind of wished that, like, I could do that. Yeah. And I seriously doubt it was, like, uh, you know, (laughs) whiplash. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that extreme. When I first saw that movie, I watched it on a plane. Oh, really? Yeah, it's... Wow. And then I didn't finish it because the plane landed. So I had to rent the movie on Netflix because it wasn't on streaming to watch it. Because you know, that's I was really that a anxious. great endorsement of it that you are willing to look for. It, it was good. I was really into it. I mean, it's like insane. But again, oh, yeah. I, I wanted to play drums after it. Then I forgot how stressful things like that are. But, yeah. Oh I mean, I've, I've been trying to teach myself keyboard and it's making mm. me realize that I don't really think as a guitar player, I don't think about tempo 
quarter mm. notes versus eighth notes. You know, I just yeah. think I, I, I play it the way it sounds. I feel that. I mean, this is, I feel yeah. like the thing I never realized because I yeah. start, I always kept tempo on things and then I played drums yeah. as my first major instrument. And then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I never had a problem, I guess, keeping yeah. time, but I don't really like reading sheet music. And then so it's like, right. like playing piano is always just like, oh yeah, you just hold the note for that long. And then you just like, you know, you yeah. work the notes it just does the thing and then mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. would like ask me and i can never that's why i can never be a music teacher because i can't explain it i'm just like <laughs> you just you just do it like you just i don't know yeah. you pick up the guitar and you play it until it sounds right and that's it mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. you know that i, I realized not everybody can do that so not exactly yeah. the best teaching method yeah and it's you know it's been brought to my attention that that is hindering my ability to understand music and play music that i don't think about those things or... yeah yeah i guess who needs yeah. who needs formats who needs yeah. who needs actual but, but, practice exactly right <laughs> you know because that's 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 definitely the moral of the story of whiplash <laughs> but anyways okay okay so like you know i'm i'm wondering about that the whole way through and i'm also right. kind of fascinated by like you know miles teller's character yeah um who it turns out is actually from uh, around where Allison is from in Crystal River uh, in Florida. Oh. I, I also never noticed that he had scars on his face. I thought that was going to factor into the plot at some point, but it turns out that's just, oh. you know, how he looks. Uh, oh. You know, no no shame, obviously. Just, you know, I, you know, it, it's, uh, there, there's no, like... <laughs> Indiana Jones moment where like in the third movie they explain why Harrison Ford has a scar on his chin. Right. You know? Right, right. Really glad we we you know We needed that level of lore yeah, building. I'm really glad uh Lucas and Spielberg uh you know patched that plot hole up. Um Yeah. Love that third movie so much. Uh so anyways, um but yeah, I I was fascinated by the idea that in a protege a protege um as much as he hates this emotionally manipulative and abusive person in such a who was manipulative and abusive in such a real way someone oh, that yeah. like shows you faux vulnerability to get you to surrender information that they are then going to use against you like right that was so cruel and everything, but Miles Teller can never, I think, fully t- abandon him because one, you know, he's, you know, he's he's conditioned and he wants this more than anything, right? But also that I feel like he sees himself in J.K. Simmons a bit mm. of the ruthlessness, and you do see it at the end. There is ruthlessness there, oh, and you yeah. see it also with his relationship with that uh, girl throughout the movie too, right? Yeah. Not so great. all of that in mind. So the movie that Allison and I watched next was Devil Wears Prada. Oh. Um yes. Why? <laughs> so I hadn't seen it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and now I finally get the references. Here's my thing. I always thought in my head based off of what I knew about Devil Wears Prada. Uh-huh. I always assumed in my head it was a darker movie i always thought it was whiplash like it was that tone huh, that's based on what i knew about it i always thought that <laughs> it was that type of tone i was very right. like 
you know, it starts with like, you know, the pop song and, you know, the yeah. like rom-com intro and font over the New York skyline or whatever. And it's like, you know, and, and it's like this, it, it's a, you know, it's not like it's a totally light movie, but it is certainly not what I was expecting. I was expecting yeah. whiplash, but for fashion, I guess. Okay. All right. You were expecting yeah. the devil to be wearing Prada, right? Yeah. That's what I, yeah. I went in thinking the devil was going to be in this movie, like from the Little Nas X music <laughs> video, and was going to be wearing Prada. And, and I didn't get that. I got Anne Hathaway and the other actress, I forget her name. Here's the other thing is like, what is it with early 2000s movies <laughs> trying to convince me that Anne Hathaway is ugly when Man, she is know. the most beautiful person in the entire movie? Yeah. And yet and yet that and Princess Diaries tries to convince me that she is like a schlub. Oh, that's the mid 2000s, right? Or was that the like, 2000? I don't even know. Cuz she's brunette? Cuz she... can't have that. Can't have that. Cuz she wears sweaters? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that other I'm, girls. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's she's it's Anne Hathaway. <laughs> yeah you're not you're not it's just it's just kind of hilarious everybody like acting Mm. like she's ugly and you just yeah it's it's kind of like the inverse of wilfred where you have everyone (laughs) acting like she's this you know beautiful spoiled teenage girl but it's actually played by a middle-aged man and (laughs) god i I love this show so much (laughs) jesus christ yeah. Amazing. So anyways, so I was I was very confused about that, but it did get me in a roundabout way. Speaking of, you know, people uh you know, trying to learn from the masters. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, you know, the other thing that I loved was, you know, that early 2000s fashion that they're like mm. and half the outfits are just so hideous looking now. Yeah, skirts on top of yeah. jeans, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also just it's also interesting seeing that moment before high waisted pants came back in. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh you know, God. they're like supposed to be all these high fashion and everything's just low rise. I don't miss that. I really don't miss it. Yeah, no, no, no. I uh No, I'm too I'm I as a short person, I really appreciate <laughs> uh I, I've really come to appreciate high rise jeans because it, mm. you know, doesn't make me look like a hobbit. No. Oh. No. <laughs> Anyways, so speaking of learning an art from a uh, driven, disciplined, and seemingly archaic master, today we find ourselves—we're uh, kind of going underground today, aren't we? Ooh, At the yes, Uncanny County Museum. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, we, we can see lots of uh, stalactites, stalagmites, mm. um, all sorts of. All sorts of mites down here in the uh, yeah. in our cave exhibit. Right now, are we mm-hmm. are we in one of the caves in the surrounding area, or is this part of the museum? I I don't really remember how we got here, so it's been a long. I mean, day. it's we're back in the mists of time. We don't know where right. or when we are. Oh, okay. But yes, we're in a we're in a cave in the in the in the museum that we have uh made because you know the uh the the lasco cave that you go into now is not the real one they had to keep Mm. 
people from going into that because the humidity, the increased humidity from visitors was uh, actually deteriorating the art on the wall. So oh, wow. they made an exact replica, and that is the Lascaux cave that you visit today. <laughs> it's like uh, fake David outside of the um, Palazzo Vecchio. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it would kind of be like Well, I guess that. you can go see, I guess you can go see real David. That's a bad metaphor, never mind. It's not a good. That didn't make any and sense. I, Continue. And yeah, and real David, I guess, is not deteriorating from us breathing on him. No. Anyway, yeah. ignore that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No. I mean, from what we learned, there are people that run through the museum, so we don't have to worry about humidity because uh, they're definitely sweating. Yeah. That that is a reference to a very specific performance art piece. Yeah. <laughs> done in say. Academia. Oh my god. Yeah, uh, so this was kind of, especially after we just wrapped our previous series on art in the 20th century, something that feels mm. very close to now. One thing that we didn't talk about that I, I, I sort of held back was in, in the 20th century, you know, from the 40s on, there was a lot of, uh, because of the discovery of the Lascaux Cave in France uh, in 1940, there was this huge, you know, interest in, you know, this primitive art and th this idea of, well, if this is the oldest art we have, why did why did people start making art? And what does what does this tell us about their quote unquote school of art? Mm, interesting. Yeah, you know, because the, the cave was, in, in in such a poetic way, you know, was discovered accidentally by, you know, a bunch of kids that uh, their dog, Robot, fell down in a hole and, uh, in, in 1940. They named their dog Robot? The dog was named Robot. That's fun. I like that. Yeah, it's interesting huh. to think that even in 1940 pastoral france that was a that was a well-known word yeah really <laughs> yeah yeah that a uh that a czech play uh because that that's where the robot word robot comes from like what wasn't it a czech playwright really put that word oh i, I believe so yeah it was it was sort of a metaphor for industrialization Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, but um, yeah, discovered uh first by uh Marcel Ravidal. Mm. I, I I don't know. I I I don't know how to pronounce French names. Uh, Jacques Massal, Georges Anguin, Simon Collins. Yeah, that's. Am I getting right. this right? Yeah, sure. I don't speak French. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Je ne sais quoi. Oh. Uh, no lo so. That's Italian. Yeah. Ooh. Anyways, so they, you know, they discover the cave, and I think in sort of an interesting parallel to how the, uh, you know, every now and then in art history, there's sort of a discovery of something more ancient, and there's a renewed interest in it. You could say the same mm -hmm. thing of sort of the neoclassical era was in large part influenced by the rediscovery of Pompeii. And, yeah. you know, sort of all of this ro very well-preserved Roman architecture and artifacts that are discovered, looted, and studied from right. the site. Um, and, you know, that that very heavily influences the art of, uh, you know, the uh, of the 17 and 1800s. Mm. But this is, uh, 
th this is sort of a, a similar thing where this opens up kind of a new door to philosophy, the philosophy of art. Interesting. Um, the Lesko caves, from what we can tell, are about 17,000 years old. Wow. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. And more recently, I mean, I, really just within the last year or so, we've become aware of, I think, the oldest representational art in the world uh, that we have found is in Indonesia from uh, 45.5 thousand years ago. Whoa! Yes. That's a long time. Very long time. And it, it's the... Uh, it's the we, we've talked a bit about this before, but the idea that if you are seeing something preserved, then that means it was fairly um, it was fairly widespread or it was at least common enough that the Tafon, uh, the taphonomy would allow some examples to survive to present day. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing is, they're they're. They're clearly sophisticated drawings. They're drawings, and mm. crucially, they're drawings of animals, which is mm. so interesting that the human form rarely makes its way into these. And when the human form does, and this is common at Lascaux, this is common at the new Indonesian site, this is common in a lot of other cave art from France, Spain, and across uh, Europe, uh, where this type of art is preserved in these caves, and it only seems to preserve the, the only human form that's typically preserved outside of stick figures because the animals are beautifully rendered. Right. Yeah. The human form that is often more often than not left behind is the uh, is the handprint, you know, made by putting your hand against the cave wall. And we imagine spraying pigment at your hand, leaving sort of a ghost of the form. Right. Yeah, so what is what is this? Like why are we why are our our ancestors painting these animals that you know, at first I think the scholarship suggested these were, you know, sort of these these totems to bring good luck in the hunt, like that these mm. are that this is sort of this this wishful thinking type of thing. The problem is right. some, a lot of these animals are not things that we have direct evidence of humans hunting. Uh, oftentimes mm. they're of bears. Oftentimes they're of just simply game animals that would, you know, not not have been uh, game <laughs> to <laughs> to right. the humans at that time. So, huh. like, but how do we we have what what's become more and more clear basically is that we have no idea. Every time someone has tried to make a grand statement yeah. as to what these paintings and drawings mean, there is either evidence to the contrary, contrary or evidence that the, they have no evidence. Their sample size is too small, or there's mm -hmm. another new cave that disproves that idea. Okay. We have no idea if they tell stories. We have no ideas if they're panoramas. We have no idea if we see two figures next to each other. We don't, because of our own biases of what we think of as representational art, we don't even know if those were, you know, drawn 
we don't know what order they were drawn in. We don't know right, if we see, right. you know, one animal drawn in front of another. Was that drawn later? Is that are they on the same plane of existence? Hmm. Were they practicing? We simply do not know. And I think this is where you get into kind of the weird language of this type of anthropology. Like, very rarely will you hear anyone anymore try to make definitive statements about this. And I know this frustrates a lot of people because, you know, it makes scientists sound very unsure. It makes them sound kind of weak-willed. It sounds, it makes scientists sound like they are trying to maybe downplay the achievements of other cultures. But this problem in archaeology and anthropology where they are very afraid to make grand statements is because they have been burned very badly before by making big assumptions. So I think across the world in that discipline, everyone is very hesitant to ever say anything too definitive. There's... yeah. Yeah. So I I don't I don't really know what your kind of exposure to this type of stuff is, like where you're coming from. Um yeah. Like, did you go did you go over this in art history? Oh uh, yeah, no, we absolutely did. And and like Let's Go Cave and all of these um things, especially, you know, like the Venus carved and whatnot, which is, you know, later. But um that was like the first thing we touched on in one of my major art history classes and I've I have been mystified and confused by cave paintings since I've learned about them, and that's probably from some <laughs> pop culture as, reference. Oh, great! As has all of humanity. Well, yeah. Like I mean, I'm again no original thoughts, but like it's if I'm being honest, I didn't care, but I cared, hmm. and it's not in a way of like like I've never found the interest that I have, you know, a lot of colleagues who who have said this of like being like, these are amazing. Like these paintings are so beautiful and there's something so impactful Mm -hmm. about it because it shows early humans like doing this thing and whatnot. And that's not necessarily the response, but it was around that line of like, right, this is something so old and ancient and it calls to this beauty of painting. And for me, I've always been like, I I don't really I'm I'm interested in the trace. I'm interested in who mm-hmm, they were, mm-hmm. what they were, what they were doing, why they painted it, and why are they in a cave? And 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 just mm-hmm. like I I'm I'm just like I'm I've always been more interested in the history of of humanity and in general the world and I I don't know I just always had like a lot of questions kind of about this and it's in a way, nice to know scientists have as well. But, like, mm-hmm. I, I just think that there's always more to it. And so, you know, the more I got, you know, as I got older and as I learned about this time period and as I've, you know, furthered my research in art and history as well, you know, I, I've come to appreciate this in a very different light. And I think it's because, one, it's very okay to not be certain on things, especially this mm-hmm. one. And two, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to think about the context of, well, you know, it shows that people were being creative and using mm-hmm. a medium of sorts to translate mm-hmm. something. I don't think it's as representational as people make it out to be. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's as like, I think the problem I always have with this subject is that people assume, or it is assumed that um, they're coming from this place of con- of painting in the, 20th century or even more recently Mm -hmm. like how we think of painting now uh which 
seems to always fall into that category of like representational yeah. or it's a picture because we know what a photograph is. And if you didn't know what a photograph is, what do you think of a painting? Yeah. It's another, another one of these things that like, it, it just, you know, goes around my head. So with this, my question is always why, why mm. this animal, why on this cave, how did you find the colors? And I mean, we know this of course, and we'll get into it, but like, you know, there's, there's that kind of questioning of it. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I've also just been really curious about like how we interpret it in that way and what is mm-hmm. what is allowing for that to happen. You know what I mean? Like what yeah. are the what are the instances making us believe that possibly they would have had that kind of mindset? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's it's a whole our whole idea of how you encounter art is so rooted in the context of that art, especially yeah. especially, you know, in a in a you know in a in a period after sort of a modernist you know approach right, to right. art where we really started looking at looking at what surrounds a piece of art and facilitates your encounter mm. you know we have to wonder okay were these was the cave an important part of the experience or were yeah. these drawings elsewhere but they just didn't survive because they were outside the cave because exactly there's been a lot written about how this would have been this sacred liminal space. Like you are entering like the womb of the earth. Yeah. And, and sort of witnessing human creation. The thing is, all of this is so removed from any context of written history. There is nothing that like, because at least with like you know ancient Greeks, ancient Chinese writings, like these civilizations that go back, you know, thousands mm-hmm. of years, you can catch glimpses in their writing of the culture that preceded them, and you could kind of start to piece together like who those original inhabitants of those era of those areas were, what they right. maybe what they worshipped, and like how that developed into um the antiquity that we understand you know somewhat the right thing about this that i particularly find fascinating is because you have absolutely no this predates written language this predates any written record that we would possibly have because it lacks that context that we desire you in a weird way, it's a mirror. You're going to see people's values reflected in their interpretations of this art that we can never know the authorial intent of. Mm, interesting, yeah. So let's take the French, for example. You know, because they, uh, they, they love to insert themselves into <laughs> philosophy. And, you know, especially if they're... You know, the, the French are the people that wanted to graph art you know right right yeah uh historically they they're you know we can make all the jokes we want about them being pretentious and we will but (laughs) uh (laughs) but they take art very seriously and they think a lot about it um for sure yeah and it is that over examination that i think reveals something about them culturally so if we look at what the French scholarship kind of was, 
you see a very French attitude of what they imagine ancient peoples were like. So Mm -hmm. the French, for a while, imagined that the style of ancient art was consistent enough, and there seemed to be conventions. So their conclusion was, okay, then there must have been a school. <laughs> this, is the most, this, is the most, this is the most French interpretation possible. You know, you're seeing them assume, okay, there were masters and there were students, and there was an ancient, there was an ancient academy. Oh, like the stone, like the Flintstones. <laughs> Les Flintstones. There you go. That's Frederick Flintstone. Oh my God. Hi there. My name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. Uh, French Academy, or no. Ancient, ancient French ancient Academy. Academy. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh my God. you know, they're... They're, they're all eating snails and frogs in ancient times. The, the, yeah. the French the French never changed. No. So, but but this, uh, you know, makes sense to their idea about art, that right. there is a, um, that there's some sort of uh, procession of master students, this cycle of life and a uh, passing down of a discipline. Mm-hmm. Even as recently as, and you know, this is kind of, it's kind of been pointed out, there's not really much evidence to suggest this, since this right. is, again, <laughs> a very uh, big claim. Uh, yes. In 1997, uh, Maurice uh, Blancot basically writes uh, at length about uh, these in, uh, in 1997, and his with regards to like sort of the stick figures that we try to interpret, like the animals right. are rendered and have this form and humans are either stick figures or handprints. And his mm. idea is that this is the beginning of the artistic signature. Oh, and that humans are humans avoid their own form because humans are recognizing they're in fear of themselves he sort of writes like huh he he writes uh you know at the end yet it seems to me that the meaning of this obscure drawing is nonetheless clear it is the first signature of the first painting I, I don't know if i can keep going with this <laughs> the mark left in modesty in the corner, the furtive, fearful in. I keep going Scottish, damn it. <laughs> Indelible trace of man who is for the first time born of his work, but who also feels seriously threatened by this work and perhaps already struck with death. Ooh. You know, humans are in this unique position in the animal world of being aware of their own death and mortality. Right. And very early in art, 
it seems like we as a as a species established that there was a gulf between us and animals um and you know you could interpret this a couple of different ways in ancient mythology like you know this is this is almost the gulf that like uh gershom sholem uh, writes about when he talks about sort of the birth of mysticism the recognition Mm. of a gap between mysticism can only occur when you realize there's a gap between the mystical and the mundane you know right right and it's sort of a similar thing that seems to be playing out here humans don't seem to like dare to put their own form in art for a while it's all forms of animals hmm and and when you do see the form, it's an empty form. It's the trace of a hand. It's the form that we leave behind is is a is is concave. It's uh, hmm. it's the shadow of something. It's the absence. It, it a handprint is the absence of a hand. Oh wow, that's interesting. And this, uh, yeah, this this is an incredibly profound thought. Big if true, right? But. But the fact that you're seeing this both in, you know, caves in southern Europe and in Southeast Asia, like, there clearly is something psychologically, philosophically going on here. Like, why you will render an animal and only leave behind uh, your handprint. Because, you know, we would think that if humans recognize themselves as different, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, even arguably, like, what the Adam and Eve story is about in the Bible. Like James uh, Kugel writes, you know, that this, the Adam and Eve story is very likely uh, an ideological story of humans leaving nature and beginning agriculture, Mm. beginning the Neolithic revolution, living aware that we will die one day and that we are separated from other animals because we know we ate the fruit the the forbidden knowledge the 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 fruit of knowing good and evil right man you're blowing my mind right now that oh my god i never thought of it that way (laughs) that's actually kind of incredible to think i mean you know that as an allegorical story man that makes a lot of sense yeah and that those there is some biblical scholarship to support that right and that this seems like where these stories of humans separating themselves from animals seem to come from, and the mm-hmm. recognition of, of a separation where we can no longer talk to animals is maybe more of a metaphor of us separating ourselves, no longer being in nature, but being outside of nature. Um, even if, right. you know, I think, I think at this point we were still getting eaten by big cats and bears oh, yeah. and crocodiles quite a lot. Yeah. So yeah, maybe it was aspirational. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, you know, Joe, I'm I'm from a I'm I'm from a place that has right. large aquatic reptiles, and I do not think about them as much as I probably should. Yeah, I never understood that, man. I I don't think I could live in a place <laughs> where an, a literal dinosaur is going to be in my backyard. Well, not a literal it. dinosaur. Right. They're archosaurs, if anything. Yeah, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> I said Sorry. it, and I regret. No, don't. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, a a a. Ugh, I can't do it. But I feel like I would I would have the same attitude I would with like any animal. We were kind of like. I'm looking, I'm there, I'm nervous, and I'm like, what's your deal? Yes. Are you going to eat yes. me? Are we going to be friends? Is this going to be 
a cool re- situation and then the alligator will run at me and then I'll have to leave because I'll be terrified and then leave the state of Florida. And that's kind of how I envision that going down. <laughs> but one day I'll get you down here and we're going to go thrifting, you know. Yes, and, yes, true. And, you know, get, because, you know, when, when the alligators eat people, they leave behind some really great clothes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So anyways, uh. so so basically we can see here's the interesting thing here and we've talked a little bit about this before when you have anything that is so far removed from a contemporary narrative because while this is very interesting and philosophical and this raises a lot of big questions about what the early definition of a human was Mm. in the minds of early humans it is kind of irrelevant to where we are right now i think if we figured out why we painted these definitively it would have limited reach yeah like it would be a big deal but it would be kind of like this it would be like discovering bigfoot like it would be a big deal but that doesn't really change anything about the world right yeah like if we discovered if we discovered bigfoot it wouldn't be the same as discovering aliens You, you know what i mean yeah, because that opens Dis- up a whole discovering new thing. Discovering aliens, discovering aliens has real world political conflict. Uh, con- yeah, uh, and existential um, issues. Yeah, <laughs> discovering Bigfoot. Um, I think we all wake up the next day and we're like, "Huh, that's that cool." We're yeah. still in an endless war in the Middle East. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what, what's interesting about this though is because it is kind of separated. It is this weird intersection. It is kind of like paleontology in that it is kind of a playground where you get to just exercise ideas that are not necessarily capable of being disproven, but are important thought exercises. It is a safe space to kind of get to... It's free reign to kind of wax poetic about stuff about the origins of mm, art mm. you don't necessarily have to worry about being wrong because there is sort of an absence of evidence to prove you wrong mm-hmm. it is sort of this it is sort of this let's say safe space of philosophy where yeah. you don't necessarily even have to worry about modern racial implications because i think this would not that this predates maybe ethnicity, but this certainly predates any modern conception of race. Oh, y- yeah, because there are actual different species around at the time too. Of yeah, hominids. you know, and and yeah, and but I don't even, even think it would. Ma- I don't even think it would have the same social implications, though. You certainly know, not from, from from how far we've come. That's that's kind of my, I guess thought into this as well mm-hmm. into this question because there's a lot going on here that's really fascinating i have to say that yes. that idea of the um, humans representing animals but leaving themselves as the traces i, I you know yes. i'm curious and my almost my own theory on it right now is i wonder if it's because we don't necessarily have that idea of the human at the center yet hmm. that that doesn't exist because of the one this this kind of need of survival of moving around of being embedded in nature but at the same time you know there's no like you know what we deem civilization right we're after the agricultural revolution like this is pre-agriculture so i don't Mm -hmm. think it's 
in a, in a way proper to say that we would be as into ourselves, right? I think that's kind of a more yes, well, newish. It's, it's <laughs> very concept. it's very interesting that you bring that up because there is another person who is studying this oh. uh, that had sort of a different take from the French, as as he would. He was a Soviet uh, oh anthropologist working in the seventies. Oh, okay, and. I think because of, you know, because and we've talked a little bit about this before, the sort of separation of uh, Soviet and uh, Western science at the time that the scientists, maybe even if they wanted to, could not sort of speak freely with each other. Right. Yeah. And I think now uh, Adi Stoliar, the the Soviet archaeologist, has uh, I don't know if I referred to him as an anthropologist incorrectly earlier. Sorry, uh, archaeologist. Um, you mm. know, working in the sixties and seventies. This this theory is very interesting that he has uh, as to the origins of cave art, but one, it's rooted in maybe some outdated archaeology, but also it's very rooted in maybe Soviet ideas um, and maybe communist ideas. I think his ideas huh. at the time were sort of derided as too communist and you know it was the 60s and 70s so that seems apropos yeah you know because <laughs> there were like it's so funny thinking about this era and it's like is john lennon a communist that we need to worry about destroying our capitalist society and it's like the guy's a millionaire yeah know? like uh, <laughs> try again boys so anyways uh, Stoliar, uh, did did we decide uh, whether or not that that is an okay pronunciation for for a Russian name? Stoliar, like Stella, like Stoliar. Um, well, see, I I base my I Russian accent off of uh, Chernobyl and um, uh, Sean Connery and Hunt for Red October because you know that's what a Russian right. sounds like, right? Well, I guess I do Stoliar. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. If you were, you know, I merely Sean shoot Con- defensively. I never swallowed. Well, I haven't heard a recording Jeremy, of them yet. <laughs> I haven't heard a recording yet, so you can't tell me it's not just this, he doesn't not just sound like Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. He's from the Scottish part of Russia. Right. I think. <laughs> Anyways. Adi Stoliar writes basically that he focuses in on one crucial animal that shows up in a lot of uh, these mm. cave drawings. And that is the bear. Interesting. And his conclusion is that Eurasian art is a result of a restlessness, uh, that there is an energy and just in a kind of human sadness and guilt that humans inherit, basically, a society inherits when they take over a cave, because those mm. caves, it appears, were occupied by bears prior to humans moving into them. And because and we know this because in a lot of these caves we find bear bones. Interesting. Not not just that the, the, the bones are bare of flesh, because you know they're <laughs> oh, you know, right. thousands of years old, but they are of uh bears, the animals. Right. Um yes, they are bare bear bones. Um <laughs> This is Supernatural on the Rocks, a new Supernatural podcast hosted by two of the voices behind Glee on the Rocks, 
I am Emily, a longtime viewer of Supernatural who could never let it go. And I'm Mandy, a fan of the start who did let it go, but it just wouldn't stay gone. Every episode, we cover a season of Supernatural. Digging into the mythology, the characters, and the fandom it left behind. With extra episodes when we need to talk just a little bit more. Because there's always more to talk about, isn't there? So join us to remember the road that was. At Supernatural on the Rocks. And they often appear to be placed on stones in the uh, sort of a makeshift altar in the Mm. middle of the cave. And often we also maybe find remnants of other bones and maybe even a pelt of the bear. But all of this is mostly rotted away at that point. So Stoliar's theory, what the, the basically the narrative that he projects onto this and the many drawings of bears that you would see on the cave walls is that humans happen upon a cave. Okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Bear is in the cave. Right. Humans use violence of some kind to either drive the bear out of the cave or kill the bear and maybe its cubs as well mm. in the cave. And humans basically make a makeshift bear out of remorse in the center of the cave on these altars. And that the the stone, these 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 large rocks, these boulders in the middle of the cave would have been draped with the pelt of the bear, the head of the bear, and it would sort of be reconstructed. There would be offerings made to it. And he sees this art born out of born out of this restlessness, born out of this remorse for having to exert something to take something of ends justifying the means. And as you can imagine, this is this is a very communist idea. This is a very Soviet idea. This is a very Russian idea. Zibers. Hmm. And this is, again, very, very philosophical, and this is a big swing. This is a big narrative to try to project on something that is so far back in the fog of history. But there is at least a little bit of evidence to suggest it, and this theory has been getting more attention in more recent times as I think people revisit the work of those uh, Soviet scientists Mm. then you know these were serious scientists coming up with these ideas so but again just like with the french we are seeing possible plausible ideas but are still influenced by the society that is trying to project something on what is essentially art without context right yeah, so I don't know what your thoughts is. You know a bit more about Russian history than I do. I don't know if this does this track. Does this like does this track onto a Russian idea of humanity that there would be that like remorse to then like like how do you mean like in the way that we can look at a French idea of there was an ancient academy as Ah. very French, like does, I mean, one, there's bears. So automatically you think of Russia. Yeah. But 
is this something that tracks onto a Soviet idea of community? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I could see a connection. You know, like I could understand in in that. What I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just want. I just want. Sorry to interrupt. I just no, 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 want it's okay. to. I want to understand why this idea was dismissed because it was too communist. Inter- yeah, I think it tracks with you know this kind of history this like you know russian history in particular if we're going to narrow things down of of that community of that you know that bringing together or this idea of the collective over the yes. individual like that's i think what i'm more drawn to with this i mean of course we can mm-hmm. go pre-soviet with a lot of these things which i think is more interesting and probably mm-hmm. what's being you know, taking that because there's like I think with the whole concept of of communism coming out of the Soviet or forming the Soviet Union and Russia, you know, and that and this formulation, you know, that didn't just like pop out of nowhere, of course, right? Just like the French yeah. became philosophers and were really obsessed with you know art and different things, and there's this kind of idea of the humanist period there. You know, Russia has its own history of communities, but also you know big distances and vastly different groups of people and lots mm-hmm. and lots and lots of fighting from way different people coming in i mean from the vikings to the mongols to you know the byzantines making their way into different regions and i I think that you know history on top of this kind of shapes that idea of the of maybe the collective or maybe this idea of coming together to represent something or Mm -hmm. bringing that back in i think it's interesting though this idea of that they would have either killed or driven a bear out and then re you know made an altar to it almost as like a thank you <laughs> i don't know how else to kind of think yeah. about it i'm thinking about it very simplistically and i think that very clear but i think there's something in that that's very practical you know like just hmm. by the idea of totems or the idea of giving thanks to something or even just like even just for like you know i mean i don't know how legitimate it would look or how real but like Part of me also thinks it's just because they, you know, just in case a bear comes back, hey, there's something in here that's mm. big and not human, right? Yeah, almost like, like I, you would want to maintain, because the, the the other big thing was you would be living amongst the rotting remains of a bear, and that yeah. the smell would be Ooh. a part of your life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that, so they, that's so if thing. I'm if I'm clear they would be living with those like they would be having that in the cave. Yeah, I think I think the thing is this is also maybe a the only mm. reason I think this the only thing that that is the thing that dates this. I think yeah. just a little bit is the assumption that the humans were always living in the cave. Yeah, see that's where I get a little lost on this. I am look, I uh you know, made it halfway through a paleontology degree. <laughs> I do not, I don't even, I, I, I can't and shouldn't consider myself a paleontologist. And the era that I was particularly interested in uh, does not, never covered any of this. There's not, yeah. unless you're looking at like paleo-Indians, nothing from this time period would have ever really been covered in what I was looking at. Most everything at MSU is very dinosaur centric because it's so close to the hell Creek formation. Right. Right. So 
I, I, I think uh, any anything anything ancient humans would have gone to archaeology. Right. At MSU. So this is a bit outside of my depth. The only time that we really talked about ancient humans was in the context of Africa. Okay. And sort of not with relation to art. We were more talking about the geographic and geological conditions that brought Ooh. about maybe, say, the evolution of humans in form, not in culture. Uh-huh. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. So this is even out of my depth a little bit, but I'm under the impression that humans were not solely living in caves, and that's Correct. sort of the thing that dates this just a little bit for me. Yeah, and I'm I'm a little unsure of this assumption of these people were living in the cave all of the time, but I could be yeah. very wrong about that if I maybe had read more about ancient humans. I don't know. You're not wrong. I, I think that that's okay. a practical assumption. And there is some, there, there is some evidence to suggest that that is not the case, that they would not have been living yeah. in the cave. And I, and I'll touch on that in a second. What's a, uh, I think a little con, not concerning. That's not the right word, but like, you know it's a bit odd to me that like they would live amongst rotting flesh i think people mm-hmm. knew that that didn't end well like to live in pestilence right. isn't a good idea <laughs> because you would die and i think well, that yeah people, it, i think you, you look at you look at the history of human cuisine and you realize like <sighs> how did we figure out that if you cook this nut very specifically it stops being poisonous yeah. Well, a lot of people <laughs> yeah. had to die to get yeah, there, and then once like that, you figured it out. Exactly. See, that's always so undervalued, I feel like. And it's the same thing here, where it's like everybody just kind of assumes that they would do it. But I was like, I think they figured out that, like, hey, Clark over there was, like, you know, in filth for days and then got sick Did and died. Did you say Clark or Clark? No, Clark, because that would be the name, of course. <laughs> Clark the caveman? <laughs> Yes. But, you know, like, it's like, it's such a bizarre concept to me. It's like, I think people have a general understanding of, like, hygiene, you know, like, to a certain degree, of course. But, like, I don't think you would live in in something that was filled with, like, disease or near something with disease. You have the kind of instinct of, okay, we're going to, like, move this somewhere else. But with, with that being said, in the cave and this idea of humans living in the cave, that's one of these things that's fascinated me. And I think I kind of was mentioning that earlier. And, you know, after, you know, in doing some research on it, just because I'm curious about where we get some of our, I don't know, modern concepts of things, it's not necessary, or it was never necessarily true. And that was Mm. kind of assumed later on in in the kind of archaeological world that, yeah, probably they didn't live in caves all the time, but there's this one. There was this American anthropological archaeologist named Margaret Conkey who really kind of started this and she has a notable uh interview and also papers on this and it was it kind of came from this question of what did cave people do all day mm. because you know if you start to think about it they're not exactly you know caves aren't exactly the most practical housing elements all year round and you still have to go you still have to go get things like you still have to go get firewood you still have to have you know tools they don't like caves don't provide resources you know besides like things later on or even just the general shelter i've even been told like in you know certain i've been told in a lot of contexts anytime i've been hiking in certain areas that like caves aren't even necessarily very safe to stay in uh during bad weather 
Yeah, because they flood. <laughs> they they, they <laughs> flood, and you're not even really safe from lightning. Um, oh, that's in, interesting. In a cave, I didn't even which, think of that. Which is kind of interesting. Which is, like, I think why a lot of more contemporary scholarship puts cave art in a mystical sense, in, in, a, uh-huh. in a more spiritual thing. Like, it's more right. of an ancient... Uh, liminal space more than anything because they wouldn't have been in there all the time exactly they would have kind of been in there for some kind of ritual even though it goes mm-hmm. back and forth whether or not this art was ritualistic yes and i mean i think i think the area the area that i lay into more is that they would have possibly used it as like quick shelter or or there's mm-hmm. kind of evidence to suggest that they would shelter there for like the fall and winter seasons and this is based in her research of what they would find um mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the cave specifically like the, the types of um types of like tools and other things that were kind of um discovered and the mm-hmm. the actually that the um the fish and animal bones left over that were eaten are yeah. seasonal based you know they would only be around mm-hmm. in that area in certain seasons so that kind of indicates okay. some okay. suggestions to that again i'm not necessarily an archaeologist or a paleontologist this is just but that what? kind of seems that yeah go figure <laughs> not my area of special <laughs> not my area of uh, expertise although i almost was considering it but that doesn't count mm. um but so what she was kind of suggesting is this idea of like to go outside of the caves in the france uh, the, in the french and spain regions where you know a lot of the discovery in the 70s was happening of like going in and exploring caves because of you know the high alkaline levels for preservation mm-hmm. and that they things were being discovered but kind of less and less and so she suggested to go and consider doing this in the fields outside of said caves or in the landscape around mm-hmm. and once they, you know, started to go over and, you know, plow up fields and start to overturn dirt, lots and lots of artifacts started coming out, you know, such as like mm-hmm. flint, arrowheads, et cetera, tools, you know, lots and lots of um, early Paleolithic ob- objects and artifacts, which is rather interesting because this would suggest that it's not, this was, they were on the move. There were people moving around and, and some of these objects were found in different places that were similar uh, and, you know, such as like Flint, for instance, which was suggesting that people would have traveled with said objects and then left them places or traded them or done other things. Um, but, you know, in, in kind of, and also they would find, they they found a lot of the different types of um, pigment used outside mm. for these for these caves, such as, you know, such as like pigments of yellow, red, and black, which were, you and these of course being like ochre and the different, um, I'm blanking on the specific metal used for the, for the metal, for the red, but you know, I think it has iron. Like, in it. A, like iron? Yeah, oxide. like an iron, yeah, like an iron oxide kind of thing. And these yeah, were found yeah. and then used in said caves around the area. So that idea that they had to go outside, find the pigments, mm-hmm. bring them in, and then do things like this. This can this this idea of traveling with things. Um, but what she kind of started to get into was this idea of home as a concept, mm-hmm. and because people were clearly returning to certain sites, these certain like home sites that mm-hmm. you know after traveling in different areas, coming back because there was constant like there were different bones layered there and artifacts and things kind of compiled into one area suggesting this like this idea mm-hmm. of not necessarily living permanently somewhere but traveling and of course this is pre um agricultural revolution so that would line up that makes sense people were nomadic cuz they quite literally had to be um yeah and that so i think that that changes a lot of you know this is more concrete evidence but that changes a lot of ways that i think we would think necessarily about how 
people were living and the idea of people living in caves for years and years around, like it kind of starts to get a little less valid, quite honestly. Um, mm. And so I think my question then was, is kind of in where does that idea come from? And my, my suggested theory is that mm-hmm. it derives a lot from pop culture, just like how mm. I will go on forever <laughs> about the idea of Westerns shaping American culture. I think this is a, this falls into a certain uh, category of that because I think, yeah. you know, what? We have the Flintstones. We have uh, other types of cartoons describing... In- uh, yeah, You know, I, I never... I mean, also the, the cinematic masterpiece Encino Man. I've um, never seen that. You've never seen Encino Man? Uh, I've never seen oh that. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it sounds you know hectic. Uh well, you have to ask yourself why there is a caveman a prehistoric a, a like a hmm, how do I put this? A ba- basically I think he's supposed to read as like a Neanderthal or something. Right. But he is buried and frozen in ice in California and then dug up while some guys are trying to dig a pool. That makes sense. So that they can get (laughs) some hot babes. Yes, as you do. Yeah, and then they're like, you know, it's basically like it, you know, and then they're like, they have have their caveman friend. (laughs) Oh my god. And then later they thaw out his, uh, spoiler, sorry, but at the end they thaw out his cave man girlfriend of course they do cave man girlfriend yeah that makes sense yeah uh jesus yeah but see what i'm getting at like there's that idea of (laughs) well even when you watch like something more contemporary like primal Mm. um which has slightly updated dinosaur designs but i think they're you know it definitely is showing a lot of animals living at the same time period that they did not uh the you know caveman living with dinosaurs dinosaurs mm. living at the same time as prehistoric creatures that they would not have coincided <laughs> with but how do you know sort 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 of a land before time problem ah uh, um, yeah yes yes uh i, I love land before i was going to say but, yeah know, same the Ugh. uh you know trying to get an, an apatosaurus uh and uh, a triceratops in the same room together you know it's like you know it's a, a scotsman and a german walk into a bar it's like how did this happen <laughs> oh fair enough <laughs> um yeah it's uh you're it is a trope certainly yes. and i think a more people are aware of it maybe now i'm not so sure because like every now and then i talk to someone and they don't seem to realize that dinosaurs died out a very long time before humans uh, even there were early humans yeah so because even for most people most people assume the dinosaurs died out and the ice age happened immediately after i mean that's even that's even the uh, what happens in the movie Ice Age. Like the implication yeah, is that the world froze right after the end of the Mesozoic. Well, I also think that's because of the you know speed running attitude of you know American school systems because it does kind of mm-hmm. feel that way. If you don't if you don't think about it, 
It's kind mm-hmm. of that. Like that's the timeline given. But of course, there's dates. But what, it, what do yeah, numbers yeah. even it's, mean? It, it's it's a couple pages in your you know biology oh. textbook, and it's hard to impart that that is most of history. Um. literally yeah so you're like wait a minute it's it's you don't realize that time doesn't translate into pages very well does it but um, i mean one time i i ran a dinosaur camp believe it or not for a couple summers when <laughs> i was a young man um uh as i look back on my life now right as, as an old crone and i i was trying to think of ways to put it in terms that kids could understand and like I remember going, I added up all of the pages of all of the Harry Potter books because it was the style at the time. Right. Um, and I basically laid them out and I put tabs in the pages. And it was basically like, all of this is the time between like the earth forming and life appearing. And then this mm. much smaller section is where there are early vertebrates and then this smaller section is where there are dinosaurs and this even smaller section is the age of mammals and then this even itty bitty tiny like last couple pages this is where humans exist right Hmm. you know that's a good way to put it you try to you know like i I think i've heard the, the this as an anecdote before that it's like if the you know if all of history was one day you know dinosaurs were around for like you know uh less than an hour and Mm. humans have been around for like less than a minute whoa yeah that see that makes a difference in how we look at things um but that's yeah i think this is where we encounter i mean again though the idea that people you know because it's 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 no one's fault this is in general how things are kind of both explained or shown in in movies and 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 entertainment is that idea of like humans and neanderthals being the same and this linear you know i I mean i think now that's getting better that used to be a lot worse uh years ago Mm -hmm. but like it's also this idea of linear linear time that we look at civilization or we look at like you know people mm-hmm. that the evolution of people of this idea of it's it's like okay we started here and now we're here and look how good we are because we have iphones and they didn't have iphones back then so it's all you know they weren't as advanced and it's like that doesn't make sense because it doesn't mm. it doesn't work like that like advancement doesn't mean yeah. anything about like there's this there's this concept now i feel like that's floating around that deals with this idea of we have computers we have steel we have you know, industry, and that makes mm-hmm. us the most advanced people to be on the earth. And I don't know if you can make that that blanket statement. I, I fight against it, honestly. I don't know if I even hear that rhetoric anymore as much because really? I think there's so much evidence to suggest that those hinder us from learning other things that are, you know, maybe less yeah. relevant. I don't. I don't think you're a bad or weak person if you don't know how to start a fire. But Mm. it certainly is. It certainly is something that you have to give credit to people in the past that they kind of just had to know how to do these things or die. And they adapted Mm. the way that we, you know, like if you know how to ride a bike, that's a skill that you know, maybe the majority of all humans that have ever lived didn't know how to do. Fair enough. You know, but but also they didn't really need to know how to ride a bike. 
yeah, not really practical yet. Uh, yeah. But oh God, could you imagine what a, it's just got stone <laughs> wheels? <laughs> you know, <laughs> there was there was a brief period of time, I think, after the Civil War, where the U.S. Army was experimenting with the idea of having a bicycle-mounted cavalry. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, and it was it was an all-black regiment um, out of Montana, of all places, out of Fort Missoula. Oh. And basically, they, they, they put it into practice. They're like, let's see if you can, like, ride across the American West on bicycles. <laughs> Where's this movie? I need this. Yeah, yeah. It probably didn't work I mean, out very well, but... Uh, it is i mean it's also like a little disheartening too because it does seem kind of like this weird experiment yeah it's like yeah it's like oh, what what are we gonna do with all these you know uh, black soldiers let's let's see if uh let's see if bicycles let's see if we can use bicycles yeah it, it would there's so many things that i wish were funnier yeah like, there's i like we, there's yeah, there's something there's something this. kind of inherently funny about that like it seems like it's a Monty Python sketch it does yeah but then there's like probably... it, it, it almost like if you remove the racial element of it which uh-huh. is bi- big if yeah and again yeah. we're dealing with big ifs uh on this tour um yeah. if you remove the racial element it's kind of like that monty python sketch international philosophy where the <laughs> german and greek philosophers are going up against each other, but it's in a soccer match. Oh yeah, that's the best. <laughs> yeah, and Confucius is the referee, and yeah. Karl Marx is like in a tracksuit. Oh my god, amazing! Good stuff, good stuff. Heraclitus has the Heraclitus has it. Passes Aristotle. Aristotle scores. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's such a good sketch. Um, yes, yes, but I, I think like with that, it's more like I think I'm more getting at this idea of also now that you know we have ancient alien theory call back to oh, first gosh. tour and people discredit humans and discredit uh yes. advancements that's more what yes. i want like because i don't want to that's, I don't the, more, come that's off... the more insulting thing yeah like i don't want to come off here and say that just because someone's good with technology that means you know oh well you know you should be better with like tools or this or like you know the old ways like no 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 and not that you're saying that but just i want to make that clear as well that this is yeah. more like this idea that like uh computers equal yeah advanced and that's a weird that's a weird concept in general here's another here's another another thing that's been plaguing my mind recently um and this i i don't know exactly which way this cuts on that theory and you know i think i was brought up with the now contentious idea that being kosher uh, that that the reason that uh that Jews and Muslims you know the the, the Abrahamic religions avoiding mm-hmm. eating pork was a result of recognizing that you get sick if you eat pork you know that you could, yeah even if they were unaware of tapeworms they were unaware of trichinosis there was like this idea that it is an unclean animal yeah and. They avoided eating it, and you, you know, we attribute this, we attribute this to to a lot of things like we, uh, you know, uh, the the cleanliness of Jews helps keep you know the Black Plague out of, uh, 
Jewish centers in the Middle Ages, you know, right. The, and to some extent, there's there's evidence of that. Yes. But, but the weird thing is, I think most more most modern scholarship refutes the idea that swine was avoided because people got sick. There seems to be something else. So now nobody is sure why hmm. the Abrahamic religions forbade eating pork. And the other weird thing is that pigs show up a lot in ancient cave art. In fact, now with the discovery of this uh, this cave in Indonesia, that makes because it is a uh, a drawing of a pig. That means that the oldest piece of art that we have, and many examples of the oldest art that we have, are of pigs. Hmm. Um, and they're even, you know, we've talked about this a bit before in the uh, animal intelligence exhibit that pigs sh- are demonstrably very intelligent, yeah. and they have human-like qualities despite being very different animals. Right. And you have to wonder, was there a recognition of that back then? Like, you know, they they certainly weren't doing, you know, organ transplants the way that we will do now with pigs, where you can, like, graft uh, 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 pig parts into humans, or they're close enough in anatomy that, you know, uh, doctors practice on pigs and all this other stuff. I had to do that. It's awful. Um, but was there was there a recognition even back then that they're like too close to us? That's possible. That's an interesting theory. I I'm mean, completely well, spitballing look, got, here. But well, I mean, I don't know if this means anything. But there is that you know that thing that gets passed around that the closest thing that tastes to human flesh is uh pig. So do with that. Yeah, what have you, you ever, will, you ever heard that... the expression "long pig"? No. Long pig is, uh, a, I believe, a euphemism for human flesh. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the one that brought it up. That's not me. But, like, yeah, but this is, like, <laughs> I, I, that's all I can think of. Right? You're, like, you're talking about, like, organ transplants and things. I'm talking about, like, cannibalism for some reason. But um, that's... <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is actually... That is interesting, though. I wonder, actually, if there is a recognition yeah. of that, of those similarities or of even, you know, intelligence or recognizing that mm-hmm. I, I don't know i i think it's i think it's worth considering because mm-hmm. i could see that being possible and I, I could see multiple reasons for that being possible of not only just pigs being unclean animals mm-hmm. to eat and it's because it's the same if i'm not mistaken with like um not uh like shellfish correct or certain types. Yeah, I don't. The, I don't remember entirely. The reasoning that I always heard was that you don't want to eat animals that are scavengers. Yeah, um, which which makes sense, even just like energy wise. I mean, I always kind of look at it as as this idea of like, why would I eat something that eats trash or like in a sense leftovers if I'm trying to gain? Yeah, like if if I have to gain energy from. Uh, a living organisms to, to to sustain myself wouldn't i want them to make sure that they're eating the highest quality of food so then i get the ultimate or however that works you know what i mean like that's yeah, my logic yeah. that's how my brain functions i don't know but like i think but but, mm-hmm. it, but it's also interesting because it's i i'm i side with you on this one and then more on a um on the you know kosher side of of, of diet because i don't like, it, but it's very opposite from where I was raised because in Italian culture, pigs like a staple food in certain parts because it's cheap, and I think that's a very interesting 
switch and one I've been actually kind of thinking about rather recently mm. on this idea yeah. of like why because like I have that conversation with my mom all the time because like you know growing up for her like pigs the cheapest meat so that's what they eat and it's the same with their family my family now yeah you know, that, that's that's the thing that they do but they don't consider any any of the other parts no one really does to be honest mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but to me that that always kind of I mean, we and we've talked about this, like, I don't want to kind of keep going over about the intelligence shouldn't necessarily negate what you eat, I guess. But, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it always has been kind of complicated to me in that in that way. Um, yeah. So I, I just find that kind of fascinating or, or where that might have been lost if this was a possible translation uh, for recognizing that. But then again, this this circles us back to we'll never know or maybe we will eventually. But then will that change? Um, certain things, you know, or how does that how does that kind of work? But this discovery that you're that you're mentioning is so fascinating to me that that now that's the oldest piece and it's being represented that a pig is being shown. What what can that mean? Mm-hmm. What does it mean? I don't even know. You know, <laughs> like that's kind of what I'm mm-hmm. trying to wrap my head around with this, and I and I really do think that that's you know kind of part of the the fun and also like thought experiments like we were mentioning that it's you really can just sit we can we can sit here on this tour and just discuss this for in circles forever because there's really no option but at the same time i think it's Mm -hmm. also kind of good to start questioning some of even the older methods of consideration yeah Yeah. you know much like the devil wears prada um (laughs) i found a lot of it's a lot of it was very, I, I, a lot, a lot of very good uh, takeaways and lessons in there, but certainly mm. things that you would not do in a film now, in some sense, right? Yeah, not only so, in fashion, but yeah, you know, overall, very good to revisit and examine because mm. I think what sets it apart from a lot of those other movies is from that era is you can tell people put time and thought into it that there are clever enough things in it so you know that doesn't really have much to do with what we were talking about but it seems like a nice uh, segue (laughs) real circular storytelling back to Mm, the beginning to uh, bring us to the end of our uh, spelunking uh, (laughs) tour here yes yes absolutely way to bring it full circle I always love that Um, Mm -hmm. but I I think it really does call to this idea of, of what both dedicated uh, mastery means, and if that would have even existed, the Meryl Streep then. Oh yeah, the Meryl Streep <laughs> to the Anne Hathaway, the the master to the protege to exactly. the apprentice. Um, exactly. It, uh, yeah. Uh, this has been a fascinating uh, yeah. topic to get to dive into. Absolutely, I think we'll have to revisit today. ancient humans eventually again. I think there's a lot certainly. To yeah, here. Th- we just kind of scratched the surface, and yeah, there's there's a million things that we can uh, discuss in the future. We really appreciate you uh, uh, sticking with us uh, here at the Uncanny County Museum, wherever yes. we might lead you, if, even if it is in a cave. Uh, <laughs> what you got going on, Joe? You have anything you uh, need to plug? Uh, not much. Just the same. The midnight. Check out my work, The Midnight Drive, available on radiopapesse.org. I might have upcoming news on here at some point, but I'll leave you in suspense for now. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and my band Mothman is going to be playing at the Florida State Fair on uh, April 23rd. 
Uh, so just uh, that's coming up. If you are in the Tampa Bay area, it's going to be some fun, fun day of music. We're going on at seven uh, that night. I have my work up at the uh, gallery Distigil in mm. Ruskin, Florida. And my uh, one of my paintings got into a show in Hudson, New York, and that's going up in July. Nice. Uh, so that I'll have more specifics on that later, but uh, that's that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to visit the museum after hours, get in contact with us. Uh, correct us. Mm, um, yes. Tell us how to uh, speak with a Russian accent. Um, yeah. Anything. You can find us on Twitter at Uncanny Museum, on Instagram at Uncanny County Museum. Uh, you can find me at Xanasaurus on Instagram. And you can find me as at Josemino Art on Instagram. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Josemino. Thanks for coming. Bye. Bye.